Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 173. As guests, we get to see the final production of so many performances on Royal Caribbean ships, but in reality, there's so much that goes into how these shows are created. From concept to costuming to rehearsals, substantial time and effort goes into creating these impressive shows. While on Harmony of the Seas, I was able to sit down with Royal Caribbean managing producer Alex Marchant to discuss how a show like Columbus the Musical got created and share some of the stories behind Royal Caribbean's latest big hit. Here we go. Here at Royal Caribbean, there are so many amazing shows. In fact, Royal Caribbean has made a name for itself with this entertainment on its cruise ships. And with Harmony of the Seas, there's a whole new selection of shows that are available. And I'm sitting here in the on-air club with Alex Martian uh, from Royal Caribbean, and we are talking about the entertainment on board. And Alex has got a really interesting role because Alex has had the opportunity to, to see the entertainment from conception all the way to what we are here. And Alex, first of all, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Absolutely. And you know what's really interesting, and I, I was joking about this before, is that people assume that like when you guys said you, you announced Greece, right? We all remember the big news. Uh, it, Greece is coming to Harmony of the Seas and Independence of the Seas. Wonderful. But it's not like you just order it out of a magazine. No. It's not, no. It's, it's not that simple by any stretch of the imagination. So let's go to the beginning, a good place to start. Talk to us about... How do you approach entertainment for a ship like this? You know, you got, I'm assuming you guys get the memo, hey, we're building a brand new ship, Harmony of the Seas, whatever, they, maybe they don't even know the name at that point, but you got to start approaching this, right? Sure. What's the, what's the process like when you're, when you're looking at it from that standpoint? Well, I think, you know, first of all, if we keep it very simple, we figure out how many shows we're going to do. So in, you know, in the main theater, we look at, it's going to be a seven day itinerary. So the ship generally will have two shows. Sure. So, um, as has been the trend for a number of years now, we start out by saying, okay, it would be ideal to have a Broadway stroke West End show. Yep. Um, there are limited shows, in, you know, in, in, in that genre that will work on board, specifically with regard to the audience. Sure. Because it's got to be something that the majority of people will be excited to see. Okay. Hopefully, if not everyone. Sure. It can't be a niche product that you know right. we, that we pick and choose an audience from right, so right. so that's the starting point that's why you we've you know over recent years we've done that you know the mamma mia chicago uh we will rock you the queen musical we've done sure. th- you know things that we really believe and and has proven to be true that the majority of the audiences will love from the minute they walk in and will be excited at the idea of seeing so absolutely so greece naturally felt right in there if not top of the list you know, from that perspective so so that's our starting point and then naturally you know the venues are multi-purpose so in the case of the theater okay we say we're going to do greece yep what will go with greece it can't be something that will sort of clash yep you know a uh, storyline or musically with greece okay it's got to be something that the cast in this case 23 people with a certain amount of leads a certain amount of ensembles yep a certain amount of actors in this case um that they have to be able to work with that show as well. So it's quite a quite an equation that we Absolutely. go through to get there. And the same with the other shows. You know, at the other end of the ship, the Aqua Theatre. Yep. Nick Weir specifically wanted to really take that place somewhere brand new, and I think we've achieved it. Yes. But we also wanted to put something very traditional in there as well, so that if there were those people that were maybe not as comfortable with cutting edge as others, that they would also get something incredible. And Hideaway Heist, in this case 
fits right in there and it is tremendous the kids love it the the families love it it's, it's beautiful it goes side by side and, and then the studio b yep. same thing you know we did a highly produced show with 1887 with incredible video footage some lovely scenic elements beautiful costumes and then alongside it we've done a I don't want to call it a more basic show, but certainly a more fundamental show. It cuts to the core. Yeah, These absolutely. are ice skaters, international, very often the you know, Olympians, etc. Let's see what they can really do in a less confined environment. So we let them at it. So let me ask you, here's a really interesting thing. I was thinking about this the other day, is that you know we take it for granted that you guys, when, you, when there's a new ship, we're getting new entertainment. I mean, historically, if you go on certain Royal Caribbean ships, you have the same shows across certain ships mm-hmm. in the fleet. Is that ever broached? I mean, is that is that a possibility in terms of repeating shows? Because, I mean, it's awesome you guys are, are... I mean, just for anyone who's unaware on Harmony of Seas, it's all brand new shows. You know, these are all, you know, uh, Grease, The Fine Line, 1887. These are shows that don't exist on any other ship. I mean, does that enter the equation at all, or are you guys just looking at it from a different standpoint? I, I think it, it, it really, again, we go back to the to the guest, first and foremost. And it, I think, it, you know, I think Nick Weir believes it is, it is very important that we have variety across the fleet. But sometimes there are products that are just so fabulous. And, and again, I'll use Greece as a perfect example. When we did the deal for Greece, we were overwhelmed that they actually went with us on the idea of doing it on two ships. So yeah. we put so we put Greece on on Harmony, and then we went straight over to Independence and put Greece there, and and it's a hit on both. Yeah. And so sometimes it works. I think it's not um, it's not our natural path. You know, okay. our natural path is definitely to say let's do something that's never been done before, and and in, you know let's say this is where it belongs, and it's not going to go anywhere else. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like you know, especially with the first Oasis class ships, you started to really branch out beyond what's possible, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And you started, you know, Oasis of Dreams, uh, Come Fly with Me. Those were like those. I mean, there still are really cool shows, but. As we got to the quantum class, it started to like. I mean, it seems like somebody like unhinged Nick Weir and let's like go be yes. free, my friend. Yes, and, yes. And he and he continued doing. You guys, obviously, your team is working hard on that. And yeah. here with Harmony, it's like the next evolution of that. It is right. It is. It uh, definitely is. It is because I think what we what we we had a little bit more time with Harmony than we did through the through the initial quantum because they they came every you know very right, quickly. Right, right. Um, so with Harmony, we had just a, just enough time to really sit and look at okay from an infrastructure standpoint, we we the, the the canvas itself that we're given is incredible. Sure. If you look at the, the the three theaters, they start off incredible. So for us to then add to them, it, where does that go? That takes you to the moon, yeah, you know. And, and so that that's really what we went into this with. It was exactly that. You know, the, the shackles were off. Let's, you know, this is Harmony of the Seas. This is going to be the biggest ship in the world. It's going to be the most talked about ship in the world. And it's going to our favorite market, which is the Caribbean. Absolutely. You know, so so why not just go all in and, yeah. and take it as far as we can? Is there uh, is there risk involved with going that approach more so than going with a more, I, I don't want to say a canned approach, but more of a traditional or, or repeating shows, you know, taking certain shows. I mean, you could have gone back to Oasis of Dreams and rolled that one out across all three Oasis-class ships, right? Yeah. Talk to us about the decision-making process there. I think I think there is definitely a risk, but I think entertainment is a business that was built on risk. Sure. You know, the, yeah. at one point, there was no such thing as aerial. Right. And then someone said one day, what, what if we did this? <laughs> That's the way this business... And, and, and we like to think, and, and I, I think it, it, it's permeating into the, to the marketplace that sure. we are cutting edge, yeah. that we are actually taking entertainment 
not just on ships, but in general to a different place. If you go to the Aqua Theatre, there aren't many places in the world that you've got a, you know, 550 gallons of water with a 3D flying rig, with a slack, couple of slack lines, a high line. I mean, yeah. where in the world can you do that? Absolutely. In, and in, in, in a fairly intimate environment as well, so with six, 700 people. It's not like it's a 5,000 seat, you know, auditorium where you really can't see close up sure. what's going on. Most people are right there with the thick of it. Yeah. You know? So the show that's really caught my attention, there's so many great shows, but the one that I really keyed on very early was Columbus the Musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to, I remember distinctly we were on Anthem of the Seas for a very similar event like that we're recording this one here on, on Harmony, talking to Nick Weir, and he was telling us all about this, how it was, you know, in, in, uh, something rotten and Spamot was the inspiration for it. And I love the idea that Royal Caribbean is, is building its own shows. You know, I mean, we love Greece, don't get me wrong. It's a great show. Everyone loves the music from it. Sure. But, I, to me, it seems like the real, the real potential, the real way to really stand out is with original productions. That really draws people like, oh, it's not just more of the same, right? Yeah. yeah. And Columbus the Musical is that. So talk to us about the inception for this idea and, and how you guys kind of came around to this particular show. That, I think, um, above all shows that we've done, it, you know, it brings the most pride because sure. literally it was a, a case of we knew we were doing Greece. And we knew whatever we did had to be different. We knew that we had to, you know, the cast had to fit that. Yeah. Um, and one day, um, I, I believe that Nick had a, a meeting with Michael Bailey, and part of the conversation was how Royal Caribbean was going to make a real attack on just wiping everyone else out when it came to the Caribbean market. Sure. And so we, we Nick immediately picked up on the idea of, well, we need to include Caribbean into the theme of that show so that was the, the catalyst for okay it. and then from there we also just happened to be in barcelona as a team working on the quantum class ships the various really and and uh, there was the statue of christopher columbus and so he put the two together and he said that's what we need to do we need to do a show some some loosely based on columbus's story getting to the caribbean Sure. And, of course, then we sat down around the table and we said, okay, well, you know, how do we do this? We called in our, what, uh, the person that Nick refers to as his creator-in-chief, Lauren Van Brank, who also just did the, the dream on ovation and, and uh, the gift on, on um, Anthem before that. Sure. And, and, you know, has been involved in Saturday Night Fever and what have you. Incredible writer, incredible director, in, incredible talent. Yeah. And so we threw out, we had a roundtable meeting with him, threw out the basis you know those two elements yep. and then sort of had a spitballing session just threw out some ideas he went away and came back with three different versions of a story okay and the one everybody is seeing is the one that we just were just blown away with it yep. it absolutely made perfect sense that you know Columbus is a somewhat uh yeah, it's it's dangerous ground for some right. people. Right. You know, some people see him as a hero. Some people see him as a villain. Right. So we knew we couldn't do Christopher Columbus himself. So therein lies the the irony right. of going after someone in his family who <laughs> is fictitious, right? But hilarious. hilarious, and that's how Marvin Columbus was born. Yeah, it's really interesting how you incorporated the story. I mean, the set alone is is worthy of, of mention because you spent. I know that. If, 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 if you were to look at Nick Weir's Twitter history, it is nothing but photos for quite a while of that ship, yeah. which is truly amazing. Talk to us about the implementation of that, because that's not something you buy. Again, you don't no, buy that at the store. No, that was, a, that was a heck of an undertaking, and I think everybody outdid themselves. Uh, our, our de facto scenic design company, River City Scenic, we put them on the spot. We said, this is what we want. 
we we handed it over to Lauren and and um, Vicky and Jerry, our design team, and they came up with this design. Nick was actually very instrumental in that. He's a he, uh, for want of a better word, he's somewhat of a, a geek when it comes to information about right. you know all sorts of things. And this was an area that he once he had the you know the initial idea, he immediately went to town himself. To, you know, so when the dis- when we were having the discussions about the design, okay, well, it's got to have this, it's got to have that, it's got to have this, and can we make it as you know, how big can we make it that it actually fits on stage? I right. mean, we've got a approximately just under fifty feet uh, proscenium, sure, and literally Nick said, okay, well, it's got to just about, it's got to take the entire stage, right? And so what everyone sees is not only a ship that pretty much takes the, up the entire stage, but actually has the the um, the shrinking bow yes. that allows it to revolve fully because without that it would wipe out the back of the stage <laughs> so it, it is it's an incredible undertaking it weighs as we say close to five tons yeah um the you know there's a cable system the cables under it so you know revolving 360 degrees and i mean it, it's a it's an incredible it's really brings again a lot of pride that piece. absolutely what uh, in Columbus the Musical? I'm just curious, which scene is is your favorite? Which stands out in your mind? As uh, I mean, there you've got. I mean, I've never seen a Margaritaville kick line before, but <laughs> I think I think to be honest, I think that's my favorite. I think the I think the the flying sharks, the, the shark flying. scene leading into the uh, cheeseburger in paradise yeah. is just you know so quirky and so wacky. <laughs> You know, I have a wacky sense of humor, so it plays right into, to, to, you know, to my, right. you know, my area of comfort. And uh, but all in all, the whole thing. I mean, it, 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 there there is a lot of, um, a, for want of a better word, irony in there as well, because the attention to detail is second to none. I mean, from every costume, from every week, yeah. we, 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 we were talking to someone the other day and we said, you know, most audience members would not realize this, but if they watch the novellas, the, the four girls that follow the story and sing along yeah. with everyone, the roots in their hair extend through the show. Oh, really? That's the attention to detail that wow. is in this show. And yet it's a comedy with right. a lot of slapstick, you know, silliness. Right. So the attention to detail... Put together with you know with that silliness, really, it's just uh, uh, mind blowing for me. What lessons did you learn from Columbus the Musical? Um, that we need always need more time. <laughs> I think there's no question about that. that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, this was a massive undertaking, and um, you know, the only commodity we have to get these things done is really time. Sure, and and that's what it takes. And uh, you know, we were still finishing the ship when it arrived. I mean, literally paint going on and ex- new pieces going on. Um, that 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 would probably be the biggest lesson. Now, is that in my control? Probably not, because right. we're already looking at harmony too. That's, you like, know? that's like everybody, any project you ever work on, right? Exactly. Your boss says, "How long can you do it? Can you really do it like two weeks shorter than that?" Exactly. It's like, no, really. Yeah. But one, one of the, the, the interesting things to me now that I've worked on numerous of the Broadway hits uh, for Royal is how those you know we work we often work with outside companies that have you know that are you know very successful on Broadway or West End Greece being you know no exception with David Ian Productions they're always shocked how little time we have to put on something and they're all you know they're always amazed that we are so efficient you know, at getting the job done, and, they, and it's hard for them to actually keep up with us. Sure, you know they're not ready. You know, if we use, if they, if they're providing, let's say, the costume designer, 
he's not used to working at the pace we're used to working at. And, and that, I always find that fascinating because yeah. I, I'd like to think that shows a real efficiency in what we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, first of all, I hope that everyone listening is able to get onto Harmony and to see this show because I think it's a must-see show yes. on there. I mean, they're all great. I mean, you, got, you have to see them all. It's, it's really, really intriguing. Um, but Columbus just stands out to me because I just love this idea of original. I guess my, my last question about Columbus the musical any chance we're going to get an, an original cast soundtrack like a, like a Broadway show does? Uh, well, actually, um, you, by, by, the, by the time this goes out on air, sure. um, all of the guests that were, were on this naming ceremony cruise will receive an original cast recording. I, I get to listen to it in my car. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and, and it's actually something that we are talking about as a, you know, a standard thing for us moving forward. We, and, and actually, you know, in Columbus the Musical, the opening number, which is about a seven-minute storytelling piece, is a completely original piece written by a very successful British composer. Um, and we are also looking at the idea of why can't we just keep that going? Now it becomes the whole show that is completely original, completely written by Royal Caribbean team members. And, you know, there's no reason. This proves that we can do it because that part of the show is as big as any other part of the show, if not bigger. And, and you know, so why can't we do it for 45, 50 minutes? Right, you know? absolutely. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about the amazing entertainment on this ship. And Columbus Musical especially. You guys have a huge hit on your hands. It's right. really, really entertaining. Thank you. pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow, what an opportunity to talk to someone like Alex and hear those stories about how shows are created for Royal Caribbean ships. I love hearing that. I hope that you enjoyed that as well, getting a little peek behind the proverbial curtain, as it were, and get a better understanding of how Royal Caribbean puts on these shows because I don't think they get nearly enough credit for the amount of work that goes into this to make these productions happen. And when you get on Harmony of the Seas, I hope that'll be sometime soon, you'll be able to see it firsthand exactly what I'm talking about. It's just amazing production values, a really fun show, and you're just going to be constantly saying, wow, I can't believe this is on a cruise ship. (laughs) But we are going to move on with our listener emails in this episode where I read your emails that you sent to me. And of course, I want to hear from you as well. So if you have an email you would like to send to me, whether it's a question, a comment, a thought about something, maybe something, uh, an observation based on what Alex was talking about earlier in this episode, whatever's on your mind about Royal Caribbean, let's talk about it by sending me an email to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. My first email is from D-Ray, who writes, What clothing should I pack for the ship? Do I need a suit? And do we have to dress up for the main dining room? That's a great question. I get this a lot, actually, somewhere along those lines. You know, how dressed up do you have to be? You know, do I have to wear a tuxedo? Do I have to wear a formal ball gown? Am I going to be ostracized if I don't? There's a lot of these kinds of questions. And here's the reality. You don't have to get dressed up at all if you don't want to. Certainly, the dress codes that you hear about and may have read about only apply to the dining rooms for dinner. And on Anthem of the Seas, it's a little bit in flux, as you may or may not know already. Uh, Anthem of the Seas had what was called dynamic dining. This was a, a different take on dining. It doesn't matter. Don't not even get into it anymore because effective, I think, pretty much this, the, this week, in fact, dynamic dining is being discontinued on Anthem of the Seas, and they will go revert back to essentially a, uh, a choice of either traditional dining or my time dining. Now, here's what you have to understand about, about dress codes in general. Number one, the uh, once again, it only applies for dinner in the dining room. So if your plan is, hey, I'm just going to be eating food in the Windjammer or on some other compliment, you know, some other venue, it doesn't apply to you. 
Uh, certainly, if you want to eat in the dining room, there is a dress code there. Especially the restaurants do have their own dress code, which supersedes the dining room dress code. So as an example, Chops Grill's dress code is always the same every day, no matter what the main dining room is doing. Here's the reality of it. For men, you can easily get away with wearing simply a collared shirt and a nice pair of pants, right? So that would be that could be a polo shirt and a pair of khakis. Uh, there's there's varying degrees of what is defined for women. I mean, it's, you know, a dress. I mean, it's just basically the rea- the rule is just not something you would wear to the pool deck, if that makes any kind of sense. Essentially, no bathing suits, no tank tops. Generally speaking, most people agree no shorts, although you, I'm sure you'll see people in the dining room wearing shorts. Nicer clothing. Formal night, it gets a little bit nicer again, but... The, the reality is there's no fashion police outside. Unless you're just flagrantly, you know, not following the rules, the, the, you may be denied entrance to it. But in practice, it doesn't get all that crazy. And certainly, as I mentioned earlier, wearing a for men, wearing a collared shirt and a nice pair of pants, you'll be fine. No matter what the dress code is, that, that's almost always the case, never an issue. So it's just a matter of, you know, dressing nicer than you would for the pool deck. It's probably the best way I can describe it. And I hope that puts your mind at ease there because I know a lot of people have apprehension about what is proper and they obviously don't want to cause a problem or be a problem and that's definitely not the case so I think as long as you have something nicer than the pool deck you'll be okay our next email comes from John Miller who writes hi Matt I have really enjoyed listening to your podcast over the last few months and appreciate all the information tips and reviews you provide I have not yet taken a roller coaster cruise but I've been on celebrity and I'm looking forward to selling on the reflection next month have you considered expanding the blog to include celebrity cruises as well? I'm sure you have your hands full with coverage just Royal Caribbean, but I think it would be great if some celebrity coverage was added as well. Keep up the great work. John, thank you for the email. It's an interesting question. I know that it's been asked before what I consider expanding to other cruise lines, be it Celebrity or Azamara, which are sister companies to Royal Caribbean, or any other cruise line out there for that matter. The reality is, and I've gone through this debate in my mind, but... I'm pretty okay with sticking with Royal Caribbean because, quite honestly, John, I really love cruising on Royal Caribbean. And I have nothing against Celebrity or Azamara or any other cruise line for that matter. I just know what I like. And to me, I think the value of Royal Caribbean blog is in doing a deep dive. And certainly time is a consideration as well. As you probably already know, John, this is not my day job. It's a hobby, right? Something I absolutely love. And I just don't have the time to, even if I wanted to, to consider covering other cruise lines. Certainly, it's part of the conversation, and I think that when you're talking about any cruise line, you have to look at it from a big picture standpoint and look at the entire cruise industry, because Royal Caribbean does not operate in a vacuum, right? They, they certainly are looking at what the competition is doing, and even their sister brands, and even, especially for Royal Caribbean, there's a lot of influences from celebrity to Royal Caribbean, and vice versa. You know, that's the nature of being a company that is uh, part of one parent company and so there's going to be elements of it but I don't think the kind of daily coverage that you enjoy with Royal Caribbean on royalcaribbeanblog.com will expand to celebrity anytime soon at least I mean I never want to never say never right but um, at this point I don't have any plans for it John I appreciate the feedback though it's good to know that there are folks that are interested in that kind of stuff. I know there are actually a lot of folks who have mentioned that uh, something along those lines about including celebrity as well. But, you know, it's just, to me, at the end of the day, short of blogging becoming super lucrative, <laughs> I, I really find the value in delivering to all of you Royal Caribbean coverage because that's what I'm really passionate about. That's what I really enjoy talking about. It's not to say that I don't I hate any other cruise line, but 
to me, it is far more rewarding and enjoyable for myself to be able to cover what Royal Caribbean does and, uh, and also achieve that level of coverage that I'm comfortable with because what I, one of my goals with Royal Caribbean blog is to deliver to all of you really great coverage of all aspects of Royal Caribbean cruising. And I don't want to give you, you know, full effort on Royal and a third of my effort on Celebrity or, or any other cruise line for that matter. It would be a disservice to that. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting that out there for you because I would, I would be quite honestly embarrassed by it. So from that standpoint, I would like to stick with my guns, so to speak, and then continue going through with just Royal Caribbean. I appreciate the feedback, though. John, thank you for the email. Our next email comes to us from Steve, who writes, Good afternoon, Matt. My wife and I have recently started following your blog and Periscopes. We are now empty nesters and are able to cruise more and more than we were able to before now that we don't have to follow a school schedule. My wife is somewhat susceptible to motion sickness, but we've been okay so far, mainly by cruising larger ships and sailing in the summer months of May and June. We want to expand the months that we cruise so that we can go more often, and we're going to be going on Oasis in October. Are there months that we want to avoid due to rough seas? How much of a difference does it make to cruise on an Oasis-class ship or Quantum-class ship? Thank you for the advice. Just so you know who we are, my name on Periscope is Florida Home Builder. My wife, Denise, is DM Nicey. Can't get enough of your great info. Thank you. Steve and Denise, thank you for the email. Great question. You know, motion sickness is something that a lot of people are, are apprehensive about. I certainly understand. No one wants to be in a storm, okay? I don't care who you are. Well, I mean, there may be a few weirdos out there, but generally speaking, we all enjoy nice weather, beautiful sunny skies, and a great day at sea, right? Who doesn't enjoy that? Now, that being said, there can be storms. I, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, Storms can happen no matter what time of year. It can be, I think you mentioned that you only cruise during May and June. That is, of course, June is right at the beginning of hurricane season, so it is possible, not likely. Usually the hurricanes really don't get going until later on in the year, but you're in the realms of possibilities. I don't think that there's any time of year in which there are there are ways you can bet on problems. I mean, we've, we've seen this in hurricane season, right? I mean, we look at the storms historically... And you, you look at when they've fallen. I mean, you, you just can't bet on it. You have no idea. There have been plenty of people who have cruised in September and have no problems. Certainly, I have. I mean, I've been very lucky in that regard. I've cruised in September quite often. We were just on Freedom of the Seas. Had no issues with, with these. In fact, the, the, the ocean was very calm, as I, re, as I recall, on that cruise. In February, same thing as well. In fact, I think uh, one of the best times to go, if you're really concerned about it, you know, would be the, the late winter months in the Caribbean because it's pretty much the polar opposite of hurricane season in terms of the calendar year. But I, I think you have to be warned, you should be forewarned or know that there is no there is no one there are, there are no guarantees in life and there are no guarantees that you're ever gonna go on someplace where there won't be a storm. You know, fronts pass through, seas can be rough because of a variety of reasons. So there's not a whole lot you can do. I might say to you, well, of course you could avoid Certainly cruising in the months of September or October in the Caribbean because that's the height of hurricane season. And the most likely, usually when you have a hurricane, you're going to have higher winds. And winds are what cause waves and waves are you know, what causes discomfort. That being said, the you mentioned also the Oasis and Quantum class ships, the two largest uh, classes of ships in Royal Caribbean's fleet. And the advantage of having a larger ship is, number one, it's harder to displace the, sh- the larger the ship, right? So, you know, the bigger the ship, the harder it is to move it. And you also have the latest stabilization techniques. So generally speaking, you're fine. I don't I don't think that, that again, I don't want to make it seem like if you're on a Radiance class, you're going to be rocking and rolling all the time. Far from it. It's There's so many factors that go into it. And my, my thing is, and what I tell people often, and I think you may have heard this already, Steve and Denise on some of my rants on Periscope about this, but if I were to list 
the concerns that that a cruiser should have going on a Royal Caribbean cruise or any other cruise, I think motion sickness should be somewhat way down at the bottom. I mean, it's not even it's not on my top ten. And I'm not even sure it makes my top twenty, quite honestly. It's just because number one, it's out of your control. It's the weather. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it other than book your cruise like you know the day before, which you really can't anyway. But you know what I mean? Like, there's not a whole lot you can do in terms of planning to prevent it. Number two. Modern medicine is a wonderful thing. There, I think a lot of the over-counter remedies, even the prescription stuff, can help uh, uh, certainly fix any issues you may run into if, if and when motion sickness incurs. And and I think that, you know, there are far bigger concerns you should be worried about, or, or not even worried about, just be more focusing on than, than the... Than what you know the the wave heights may be it can happen no matter what and i think that's really the the lesson to be learned here i know a lot of people though steve we've gotten this question a lot and i don't think you're wrong for worrying about it i just think that i'm trying to tell you don't worry about it you've got to you've got to just you you just have to go with the flow so to speak and understand that there's nothing you can do there is no guaranteed 100% foolproof way of avoiding rough seas. You never know. It can happen in February. It can happen in October. It can happen in July. It can happen in March. I mean, it's all over the place. So my advice is pick one that an itinerary you want to do and consider factors. Certainly, hurricane season can is more. There's an increased chance compared to non-hurricane season, but you're already cruising in June, which is technically speaking hurricane season. So, so you just have to look at the big picture and pick a cruise that you're really fond of and you know everything else will que sera sera as they say next we have an email from Ruskin who writes hi Matt totally new to cruising I've never done one myself but my wife seven year old son and myself have done a lot of traveling and really want to try a cruise I've been doing a lot of investigating and believe that Royal Caribbean would be the best option for us so I've been listening to all your podcasts and checking out the Royal Caribbean blog being based in Christchurch our cruise options are rather limited so we have to travel to Auckland or Sydney in Australia we're looking to doing an 8 to 10 day cruise around the South Pacific Islands around the end of 2017 out of Sydney but I have two questions number one there are no itineraries for the Oasis class ships around the South Pacific at least not at the times we wish to travel from any port but there are a couple of Quantum class and a large number of Voyager class sailings the Quantum has a number of onboard attractions that our son would love, especially the H2O zone, but only offer a couple of eight-day sailings just that, that visit just two ports, whereas the eight- to ten-day cruises on the Voyager classes are between three and five ports. What do you suggest, especially for a first cruise, take the boat with the more features to enjoy the cruising experience, or take the Voyager class to spend more time visiting places? Wow. He's got another question. Well, let me jump into this question first. This is wonderful. My answer is you should pick the ship with the more experiences, the more features on board, the quantum class ships. I know there are people out there who are shaking their fists angrily at their iPhones and Android devices and radios and saying, no, Matt, you fool. It is not that. Why are you telling him that? Let me, let me say this. You can't go wrong with either one. The Voyager class is wonderful. I love the Voyager class ships. It being in the South Pacific, you're pretty much talking about Voyager of the Seas and Mariner of the Seas, two classic ships. We have very similar ships over here in the United States with Explore with well, Explorer comes back to the United States in the summertime, but a Navigator of the Seas is, is the big one, Adventure of the Seas in San Juan. But they're wonderful ships, great times. You would not you would not be doing yourself a disservice by going on them. I think when you're new to cruising, it is my opinion, right or wrong, that the 
you're best served by checking out the Quantum or Oasis class ships first, just because they offer you the greatest variety and the latest and greatest features. The greatest variety of activities and things to do on board, and also those new features that you've come, a lot of people come to expect. I think, even though you've never been on a cruise, I'm willing to bet, based on what you've read, seen, and heard, especially in commercials and TV and whatnot, that you have certain expectations, right? You've seen the people floating around in the, in the skydiving simulator or going on the flow rider or dining in a bazillion restaurants on board. That is the kind of experience you can expect more of on a Quantum or Oasis class ship. Again, that takes nothing away from the Voyager class ships, which are wonderful, which was my first Royal Caribbean ship. It was Explorer of the Seas back in the day. And I would tell you that you did not have a bad time at all. But I think when you're new to cruising... I would rather you check out that Quantum Clash, which I believe you're talking about uh, probably Ovation of the Seas, maybe Quantum of the Seas, but nonetheless, a Quantum Clash ship is I think it's going to be in line with your expectations, and it's also going to give you the greatest variety of, uh, of, of choices on board, and that'll help you figure out what kind of cruiser are you. Are you someone that really, you're going to go down on board that ship and be like, I really need more ports, or you're going to be like, I just want to do all the cool stuff on board. I want to do lots of activities. I want to sit by the pool or pools and do those kinds of things. You know, it, you kind of have to discover for yourself what your cruising style is, and certainly the follow-up to this would be, well, you should go then go do the Voyager Clash. So I guess my answer is really you should do both. But if I were going to do first, I'd probably go with the Quantum Class. And that's I know there's people who disagree with me on that one. And again, I'm not saying that the Voyager classes would be a mistake by any means. But I think based on where you are, especially with your seven-year-old son, again, latest and greatest, there's something to be said about that, and that is the Quantum Class. Now, Russ can also ask great podcasts on the different options of staterooms, particularly like episodes 52, 151, and 166. But I'm curious, in the Junior Suite podcast, back in episode 151, you mentioned that it would be better to get two staterooms. Our son is almost seven and would probably want his own area, especially at night when my wife and I are relaxing, enjoying a drink, or just chatting a bit and watching TV. But the staterooms can't be booked without an adult being in one of them. If we were to book two staterooms, are you able to select adjoining ones where the adults are in one room? Can't figure out how to do this on the Royal Caribbean website. Or are there stateroom options that give separate space for a child? I'm going to answer your question with something you didn't ask. And that is, before all this, before you enter this, you can do everything you want to do with your question. But it sounds like you're not using a travel agent. And I'm going to tell you, Ruskin, you absolutely positively should use a travel agent. The reason why is to help you with situations like this. Yes, you can all do this on the website, theoretically. There's a learning curve, as you're quickly learning here. And it's not worth it. I don't use a travel agent. I've booked a number of cruises. I've been on a number of cruises. It's not worth it. Use a travel agent, my friend. It makes your life so much easier because all you have to tell them is, hey, I want to do that. I want to get two rooms or I want to see what two rooms are going to be like for me, my wife, and my seven-year-old son. You know, let me know what the options are. They go through this whole exercise and figure it all out for you. Meanwhile, you're listening to podcast episodes here or, or checking out rollcomblog.com or playing with your son. I don't know. Do something way more fun. <laughs> now, to answer your question, though, Yes, we've run into this situation. I've run into this particular scenario, in fact. A couple things to keep in mind. You do need an adult in the room. So you cannot book your son in a room by himself, technically. What you would have to do is book your, probably you or your wife with your son. And then you would book one of you by yourselves in the other room. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to run to the single supplement fee. What that means is 
Royal Caribbean and most cruise lines out there do not let people book rooms by themselves without uh, paying a single supplement fee. Basically, the cruise industry is based on this idea that if you're going to book a cruise, it's based on double occupancy, right? Two people in a room. Well, when people book one person in a room, that if they were just to charge them for one person, that would kind of mess up their their business math. So as a result, the cruise industry implemented what's called a single supplement fee, which means even though let's let's say you your wife and your son are in, in the other room, you're by yourself in the in the second room, you would be charged double fare, despite the fact there's only one of you in there. Now you'd be doing this anyway, don't forget, even if if the system allowed your son to book a room by himself, because that's what you'd be doing, right? A single person in one room. And that would be the scenario. Just keep that in mind when that's going forward. Now, the only other thing you could possibly consider is a solo cabin. And on like Quantum Class ships, they do have them. There's a few of them. Uh, these are rooms that are designed for one person in mind, in which case you would not pay the single supplement fee, which is nice. The problem is I'm pretty sure none of those rooms connect to a regular room. So you're going to be limited in that regard. But you can certainly investigate it. I, again, I don't think you'll find much success in there. But there are connecting rooms. And... That will give you the option there. Now, you asked, are there other stateroom options to give a separate space for a child? There are. You're mostly looking at suites. There are also things like family rooms, family ocean view rooms, family suites. But the price is probably not going to make it uh, good for you. And not to mention that, with only three people, those rooms are designed for people with like, you know, four or five, six people in the room. So it's not really going to be a consideration for you. I think two rooms is going to be the best way to do it. And again, I would, if I were you, I would go to the travel and tell them exactly what you're looking to do. And they'd be able to find a room combination for you because the website actually doesn't support a feature. There's no toggle. Like, Hey, can I connect two connecting rooms? It'll allow you to get two rooms, but it's up to you to go figure out if they're actually connecting or not. And it's an exercise in, in a lot of clicking. <laughs> I've done it before. It's not fun. Again, this is why a travel agent is very, very useful. So uh, it certainly can do that, but I think that selecting an adjoining room is going to be the best thing to do. What you're going to have to do again, though, is have you or your wife in the room officially with your son, and then you are in a room by yourself. So so some combination like that. It's a great email, Rusk, and I'm wishing you the best of luck. And honestly, I want to hear what your first cruise is like. Let me know what you end up picking and how you like it, especially if you go with the Quantum Class, you go with the Voyager Class ships. Remember, they're both great choices. I'm just excited to hear your thoughts on them. Thank you for the email. Next, we have an email from uh, Quentin who writes, I think Michael Poole was wrong about the first class to be powered by LNG. Here's an article I found online, and it said that Carnival actually is going to be the first one. Thank you, Quentin, and you're right. Royal Caribbean was not the first cruise line to announce a LNG-powered ship. I think what we were talking about was the first Royal Caribbean ship in the fleet to be LNG-powered, and I apologize if we didn't make that distinction clearer. But yes, Carnival announced plans for something similar to this uh, a couple months before Royal Caribbean did. But nonetheless, I mean, this is a really interesting time that we're moving to this standpoint to have you know the industry say, you know what, let's let's get rid of diesel ships. Like to me, that is just crazy, and it's not like this is, you know, this is something that it just you know has been kind of an evolution. This really just all of a sudden this year, this was like the year where people are like, you know what, we're going to make this happen, and you know, this is the year that they're going to announce to make this happen, and it's pretty exciting. I got to say, I mean, imagine a day where you know these diesel running ships are not no longer a thing. Almost like thinking about you know coal powered ships or or trains that are coal powered, right? It's just not a thing that anyone does anymore, but. I am I'm really looking forward to the future. It's very, very exciting times we live in, I gotta say. Next up we have an email from Scott Buchanan who is S B 
Luke04 on Periscope, who writes, Matt, I purchased a soda package in advance on my Oasis of the Seas cruise using onboard credit. After doing that, we moved to Boardwalk Balcony, so we should receive two soda packages as part of the neighborhood perks that are out there. Will Royal Caribbean allow me to cancel the soda package I already purchased with the onboard credit? If so, how do I cancel by calling Royal Caribbean, or can it be canceled through the cruise planner? Scott, I wasn't aware that you can actually book something on the cruise planner with onboard credit. Uh, you didn't specify how you did it exactly. But in generally speaking, anything you book in advance of your cruise, you can cancel and get a full refund for. This is true of the cruise planner especially. I mean, if you go in there, I've done this many, many times, gone in there, booked a particular drink package, an excursion, uh, you know, what, spa treatment. And as long as it's before the cruise begins, you know, within, uh, I believe it's three or four days, even a little two days, you can actually cancel it. You just go to the cruise planner, you go to what you've booked, cancel that option there, and then it'll be refunded to your credit card in a matter of days. So I think the short answer, Scott, is yes, you'll have no, absolutely no problem with that. In fact, even if you forgot to do it, if you got on board the ship, like, oops, I forgot to do that, or look at that, I've got the soda package already, they'll be able to refund the money in the form of onboard credit. So I would recommend, though, doing it before your cruise is far easier. It's one less line and guest relations to wait in. So, you know, do it before your cruise, but you should have no issues there. I really cannot imagine that would be a problem unless like the the drink package you bought was a perk from like i don't know somebody gifted it to you or something like that but you should have no issues with there very good all right time for one more email one more all right we got time for one more and it is from jeff smith of north ridgeville ohio matt thanks again for all the great info sorry for if i'm uh, I'm sure another boring and over-talked about beverage package question. Never have to apologize for beverage package questions or any question, Jeff. I love talking about it. So Jeff writes, with the Royal Replenish package that includes non-alcoholic drinks, do you know or know of a price list for drinks like daiquiris, etc., to see if it's worth it? My wife and I are not big drinkers, but we love boat drinks on a vacation with occasional alcohol in them. Also, if you have the replenish package and one alcohol, do you pay full price for the individual drink or just the price difference at a shop? Thanks again for all the time you put into us. So, great question. Um, when you have the Royal Replenish package, first of all, I answer your question about the drink list. We actually have a, a webpage at royalcoreanblog.com, which I will attempt to link to in our show notes at royalcoreanblog.com with a drink price list. Generally speaking, the non-alcoholic frozen cocktails come in at around $6 or so. The price depends on the ship and... Uh, which bar you go to and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, it's in that ballpark, about six bucks or so. The question you have about if you have the non-replenish and can you add alcohol, the answer is no. You you just order an alcoholic drink and your package has no bearing on it whatsoever. So if you're like, you know what? I need a pina colada with extra colada. You know, <laughs> you want some you want some alcohol in that bad boy. Then you just order the drink as if you were paying cash for it because that's exactly what you're going to be doing. Uh, you can't take the best. I mean, theoretically, I suppose you could buy the you know, give me two shots of rum and oh yeah, here's this. I'm not sure it's going to save you a whole lot and I'm not even, just buy the drink. That's just the best way to do it. Uh, it's just going to be the most straightforward means of doing it. Not to mention then they'll make, they'll actually mix it in there, blend it as opposed to you stirring your drink for 10 minutes and getting a lot of alcohol in the beginning and no alcohol at the, at the end, right? Does that make sense? And I appreciate the question, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody for checking out the podcast. I love doing this. Every week, we talk Royal Caribbean together, and I'm so glad that we get a chance to do this. If you have questions or thoughts or anything about Royal Caribbean you want to have answered, send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Well, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you again, and until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.